You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show, also known as the Urban Shooter Podcast. This week, I get a chance to talk to Cam Edwards, you know, the guy from NRA News, Cam and Company, about his podcast, 40 Acres and a Fool. Rob Morris and I just kind of cut it up a little bit, talking about the news and what's happening around the world. Had a long week of working after hours and working nights and midnights, graveyard shift, and uh, my brain was kind of fried. Rob rescued me and filled me on what I missed over the week. And if you missed any of it, you'll hear that too. Folks are going to the NRA annual meeting in a couple of days. Going to give you a little bit of a reminder about that. And uh, we might even talk about 40 acres and a mule. Coming up next. Boom, 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 boom. This is the Black Man with the Gun Show. The Pro-Gun Podcast. And I'm your host, Ken Blanchard. This is your friend and your brother from another mother. And I'm so glad that you decided to listen again. If this is your first time, welcome to the Gun Rights Show that talks less about firearms and more about the people. I really care about you, what's going on in your world. If I can help you in any way, feel free to give me a, a jingle, a buzz, an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. All my contact information, you'll find it at blackmanwithagun.com. You know, a true friend is someone who sees the pain in your eyes while everybody else believes your smile. Thanks for making me smile. As soon as John Wayne gives us the Pledge of Allegiance, we're going to start off with episode number 421 of your favorite Righteous podcast. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What a week, what a week. But we know we just completed a month of uh, Blanchard Outdoors radio show. Uh, BlanchardOutdoors.com is the new venture I started in the new year. Uh, my first show started in March 8th, and it covers the hunting and shooting and uh, fishing angle. And I've had professional anglers and hunters of color, and they've been colorful indeed, and they've been informative and entertaining. And then I got a couple of hosts working with me for the first time. I'm not in my studio. I'm out of the basement. It's really messing me up um, because our studio guy, our engineer, actually owns the place, is so enthralled into the show that he's falling down on the job. If he was anybody else, I'd fire him. Um, so he's all into it, though. He's listening, and our callers call in, and the audio stinks. And I'm sitting there going, dude, equalize the thing. Break the sound down. Make it round it out or f- fix it. And he's, like, listening to the caller, and Lanessa's saying something, and he's watching her, and then D comes back. And, yeah, it's been a experience. You can check it out. I threw up a Google Hangout, which has been as much fun by itself as the show. There's always been something wrong. The camera fell off. I broke a tripod one time. Uh, I'm using a little HD webcam that didn't work last week, so I had to use the camera on the laptop, and I'm swiveling the thing around, and folks are getting dizzy. There's a chat room on Blanchard Outdoors Live, and oh, man. But of all that, there's a new um, podcast channel, the Outdoor Podcast Channel. It's a feed of eight other podcasters that deal with outdoors, and they invited me. 
my brand new raggedy show to be a part of them. So if you're looking for outdoor stuff, check out OutdoorPodcastChannel.com. This week, I got a chance to talk to a guy. You've heard him a hundred times. I've been on his show. He's the video king. He's a radio announcer, Sirius XM. He's, he's Cam Edwards, and he's up next. And now, our featured presentation. All right, I got the pleasure of having a longtime friend on the show. Um, you've heard him all over the place, and he is the voice of the National Rifle Association. Sometimes he's the voice of reason a lot of the times, and he's a good friend. Cam, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thanks so much, sir. I appreciate it. It's good talking with you, man. We've had you on my show so many times. It's, it's cool to be on yours. <laughs> I know. I just saw that you had a podcast, man. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this was uh, something we started, I guess, uh, about early January uh, with the uh, the Blaze Radio Network. You know, uh, one of the things I did in, in, in my personal life at the end of 2012, we left the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and uh, my wife and I and four of our five kids moved to a small farm in, in central Virginia. And this was sort of our crazy, you know, one day, it wouldn't be awesome to, to, to live on a farm. And we just decided, you know, if we keep saying one day, we're going to be too old to, to actually do it. So let's, let's do it now. Um, and it was our crazy dream. And we've, uh, we've been there. I, I drove back and forth to uh, Washington, D.C. for, uh, gosh, almost a year and a half, I guess, before we uh, opened our studio in Farmville, Virginia. And, and, and so this podcast is called 40 Acres and a Fool. And it's, just sort of about exploring what what it's like to be a lifelong suburbanite uh, who, who's now, you know, living in the country and, and getting to explore this this life that he's always wanted to live. And I found it by accident, man. You didn't like really promote this thing, did you? You know, I'm so mad about self promotion. I really am. That's the worst part of of uh, my 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 job abilities, I guess. Um, I, you know, I just was. I was brought up, I guess, in, in the media with a reporter's mindset that, you know, it's never, you're never the story, right? Yeah. yeah. The guest, it's always about the person you're interviewing or it's always about the story. Um, so yeah, I'm horrible at self-promotion, but, uh, but it is available. Um, this is a good opportunity for me to say it is available on SoundCloud. Uh, 40 Acres and a Fool is the name of the show. Uh, you can also find it on the Blaze Radio On Demand. We're not on the you know, daytime schedule. This is not my day job by any stretch of the imagination. This is like, okay, when can I sit down for an hour and talk about what's been going on in the world this week and what's been going on in my world this week? Uh, and it's, it's typically, the, the podcast comes out on Thursday, and so it's typically Wednesday night uh, after the kids go to bed and the dogs have been walked. We sit down at the kitchen table. My wife usually joins me for a segment or two, and we kind of talk about just, you know, what what what's going on on a small farm in Central Virginia at, at that particular time of year. Like right now we're clearing out our garden beds. We planted beets, we planted carrots, we planted our onions and our garlic and uh, inside the house in front of every window that gets any sunlight, we've got uh, our tomato plants and our pepper plants that are in pots and seeds just sprouted this week. So, you know, there's some gardening tips. My wife is amazing uh, and crafty and handy. So she, uh, will often give a, uh, she'll give out a recipe for, uh, you know, something that, that we're using with bacon, uh, cause we make our own bacon. And then we'll talk a little bit, uh, usually like a book that I've been reading cause I'm a, a pretty voracious reader. So there's usually a segment where we talk about a book or history. Uh, and then, you know, something that's generally related to this, 
life on what I call the near frontier. Um, this week, I think I'm going to be talking about this case up in New York State where a small farm had their horses taken away. I think 13 horses were taken, some other livestock uh, on the grounds of animal cruelty because this is, a, again, it's a small family farm. And in the winter, the, the water for the horses had frozen. So as a small farmer, you have to go out multiple times a day and break up that ice and you have to refill the water. Well, the animal welfare people came out and said, well, the, the horses should have been in a heated barn should have had access to, uh, to, to to water that wasn't going to be frozen. Um, and now this small family farm could lose its livelihood because, you know, the rules for uh, for agriculture are written for these big, big factory farms. Uh, and so we're actually living in a time in which the the ability to to, to live that, that sort of ideal American life of the, uh, the small farmer is becoming harder and harder uh, because of the the, the 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 regulatory power of the uh, the state, the overreaching arm of the government. Yes, yet again. Yeah, yeah. In every uh, aspect, there's actually a woman uh, here in Virginia. It was not. She was about an hour away uh, from where I do, up near Warrenton, Virginia, and uh, she's had just some amazing run-ins. She bought her property uh, and had a conservation easement placed on it. Apparently, right before she purchased it. Uh, and, and this uh, conservation easement allowed this group, the Piedmont Environmental Council, to go onto her property and try to, uh, you know, fine her for having like a garden hose left out. The uh, the county went after her for having a kid's birthday party there. They wanted to, her to take out a special use permit. I mean, there's just some amazing stuff that goes on. Martha Benita is this woman's name, uh, and, and the Daily Signal website has written a lot about her. She's got an amazing story to tell. She's a uh, she's a great woman, and again, one of those. One of those folks who's, you know, just quietly pushing back. I mean, you know, a lot of those folks in the Second Amendment world can, uh, you know, people like Nikki Gozer yeah. uh, and Amanda Collins, those, 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 you know, folks who are just out there living their life and then trying to be an example uh, for their cause. That, that's Martha Benita when it comes to, you know, the food and, and farm and property right freedoms. Wow. See... I kind of know this stuff because we, we we shared a couple of beverages a few times. That, 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 All right. That, that you're like a cool dude, a family dude, a, a, a great guy. And I had to tell it, man. I had to get somebody on there to listen. I was like, all right, I'm going to get Cam on this show. I don't care about – I care about the people, man. And you were one of, this, one of the best people I know. So I'm glad you got a chance to, to, to talk about this thing. Oh, Ken, I can't thank you enough, man. That, that really yeah, – I wish you could see the smile on my face. You are uh... – you are truly a treasure, uh, and and uh, you know I don't know if if you know how much I appreciate the the counsel and the advice and the wisdom that you have provided. Uh, really, not just me, but uh, you know thousands of folks uh, in the not just the Second Amendment community, but certainly within the Second Amendment community. Uh, you are it really it's a, it's a it's a real pleasure to call you a friend, man. Thanks, dude. Back at you. What's 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 new in media? We see you soon in Nashville, right? Man, no. I actually, I'm actually oh. consolidating everything I'm doing. I'm I'm having like this one big um, push to fix what's broken in my life, and um, I pull pull the reins on everything, um, cut some ties on some stuff, and I'm focused on Blanchard Outdoors um, to the point that it's actually moving pretty good for for a show. And um, with that and, uh, and this one, Black Man with a Gun, um, we're still still ticking and 
travel's not in the in the cards for right now. That's all. Well, I, I you will certainly be missed. I and uh, next time I get up to the D.C. area, uh, I will let you know. All right. Absolutely. We'll have another, another beverage. You got it. You no, know, actually, me and my wife are actually thinking about moving um, out of this area to some place quiet in Virginia or North Carolina as well. Oh, let me know because <laughs> I will tell you this is a beautiful uh, Central Virginia and South Side Virginia. Mm-hmm. A, it's a beautiful spot. It is a great outdoor spot. I'm telling you, not just for uh, yeah, really good whitetail. Although this year, I think the numbers were down. Numbers were down, you know, across uh, a lot of the country, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really good fishing down here. Uh, bass fishing on the James Bass fishing on the uh, James River. Yeah. Appomattox River is uh, right here in Farmville. So come come down and uh, scope it out. You guys can uh, hang out at the farm for the weekend. <laughs> That'll work for me, man. Cam, I wish you the best with the rest of the week. And so sorry I can't hang out with you, man, at the, at the NRA conference. But I will see you a few times before the Christmas, I promise. All right, Ken. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time on your podcast. And I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, after podcasting for seven years in this space, being the black man with a gun, talking to makers and shakers and builders and manufacturers and all the people who make all the cool stuff, I just learned and figured out that the most important things in life aren't things. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at CrossbreedHolsters.com. All right, one of the things I do on this show that you don't hear in any other pro-gun show is I throw a lot of history in here because a history of all types, and a lot of it's African-American history if you want to subtitle it, One of the things that you hear sometimes, 40 acres and a mule. Now, you heard that Cam called his podcast 40 Acres and a Fool. And I bet people look at it like, oh, man, that's like sacred. You can't talk about that. But I bet you don't even know the origin of the statement. Now, if you do, then I apologize. But for those who don't, let me tell you that the whole term 40 acres and a mule was a concept. It wasn't a law. Major General William Tecumseh Sherman bought a massive regiment of the Union Army to the Georgia coast in December in 1864. Now, accompanying this army was an estimated 10,000 black refugees, former slaves, beaten down, starving, full of disease. They were disillusioned by this army. They had been pilferaged, they had been raped, they had been abused. And when they arrived in Savannah after a long march, pretty close to like, the marches of the Native Americans. They were beat down, sick, naked. And they got some folks together to say, what can we do for these people? What can we do? Let's grab some folks and get some, get the, you know, some people in leaderships involved. And they asked the question, what do you want for your people? They met with 20 of them, many of them who had been slaves for most of their lives. And the black people from Savannah seized the opportunity of emancipation to strengthen their community's institution. They had strong political feelings, of course. They had some stuff they wanted to get through. And they said, the best thing we can do is to have land for ourselves and turn it until it's ours for our own labor. We want to be free. We want to have our own stuff. Makes sense, right? 
So Sherman, this major general, issued special field order number 15. And this order issued on September, January 16th, I'm sorry. I don't know where September came from. January 16th, 1865, instructed officers to settle these refugees on the sea islands and inland, giving them 400,000 total acres divided into 40 acre plots. And though mules, beasts of burdens used for plowing were not mentioned, some of the beneficiaries did receive them from the army. And they were called Black Acres. This is all down on the islands around Charleston, south of the abandoned rice fields and along the rivers, some really good land actually, 30 miles back from the sea by the St. John's River, all around Florida area, that part. Yeah, the Gullah Island section. Well, the news spread that the Union Army had given land to black people. So just like it was the gold rush and the land rush in the West, there was a rush to Georgia for black people because down there they were getting 40 acres and a mule. Wasn't true. And it didn't last. So, of course, all of this was rescinded and everybody was displaced. The institution of slavery in the U.S. deprived multiple generations the opportunity to own land. Legally, slaves could not own property or guns. But in practice, they did acquire capital and generally perceived themselves as the lowest ranking members of a capitalist system. Some of that hasn't changed. As legally slavery, as legal slavery, uh, how about as institutionalized slavery ended, many freed people fully expected to gain the land for they had worked for, but that didn't happen. African-Americans in the U.S. faced severe discrimination and were maintained as a distinct racial group by laws against miscegenation. Perceived as a threat to society and particularly as a dangerous influence on slaves, free Negroes were not welcome in most of the U.S. Before the Civil War, most free blacks lived in the North, which had abolished slavery, and in some places they acquired substantial real estate. But in the South, vagrancy laws had allowed the states to force free Negroes into labor and sometimes to sell into slavery. Nevertheless, free Africans across the country performed a variety of occupations and a small number owned and operated successful farms. Now, even though it didn't happen, the idea of a land grant to an entire class of people was not unusual in the 1700s and 1800s. For example, Thomas Jefferson proposed a grant of 50 acres to any free man who didn't already have at least 50 acres in his draft of revolutionary constitution for Virginia in 1776. More prominently, or approximately, various homestead acts were passed from 1862 to 1916, granting 160 to 640 acres, depending on the act. And early homesteading occurred under statutes, such as the Preemption Act of 1841. Freed men were not generally eligible for homesteading because they were not citizens, which changed with the 14th Amendment in 1868 when they were granted citizenship. Ain't that some stuff? 40 acres and a mule. It's a concept. It was never a law. Whenever you hear somebody talk about it, who's the fool? Do you carry a concealed firearm for self-defense? Are you prepared to survive prosecution by the criminal justice system? Join the Armed Citizen Legal Defense Network and find out how. You'll get legal help plus a series of educational DVDs and a 235-page book to keep you informed. For details, go to armedcitizensnetwork.org.
That's armedcitizensnetwork.org. Hey, how many of you guys have watched The Walking Dead? Was it the bomb this year? Oh, man, season was excellent. I must have watched that last final episode like twice already. I'll probably watch it one more time. There's so much rich content in there, real good drama. Yeah. You should see what I do when that thing comes out. I have my, my phone on, my laptop in my lap, and I'm, I'm tweeting and sending out stuff and reading people's posts. Folks are cracking me up. They have um, stuff on Instagram that they make. Well, it's just, it's just fun. It's like a social media explosion of stuff. So we talked to Cam already and uh, talked about 40 Acres and a Fool on SoundCloud and 40 Acres and a Mule in history. Hopefully there's something said that uh, you didn't know already. Sometimes I get so behind working graveyard shift that I forget what's going on. You know, you hear the quick stuff when I'm riding to work or I click on the news and I hear uh, all the sound bites. But there's some stuff in the Second Amendment world that I just kind of miss. So I called my friend Rob and said, man, can you kind of update me? Because I'm a little brain dead. And Rob, man, is like the super analyst, comes in with all this information. And I try to whittle it down to uh, a sizable amount. But we kind of got going on this one. And uh, here's what happened in the last few days. In the news. In the news. All right. And we got Rob, our official news person. Man, how you doing today? I'm great, Ken. What, what do well, you have for us today? I, I Before I geek out, all right. I had all these little tidbits of, oh, we've almost got constitutional carry here or campus carry. You know, that's like you know, uh, every, describing every pitch and swing and a miss in baseball. And I want to talk about the teams that won and lost that because we've, we've been winning. And sometimes gun law geek human rights folks, we lose the forest for the trees. And I saw this article about how things have changed in the last 30 years. I wasn't even involved in this 30 years ago. But the number of states that have denied all concealed carry, it shrank from 18 states to zero in those 30 years. Now, that might be a little of exaggeration, because in some states, it's still a de facto ban, but it's not an outright prohibition. Break let it me, down, me, man. Break it down. Yeah, let me keep going. The number of states that have a discretionary may issue policy for concealed carry, shank, uh, shank, <laughs> shrank. <laughs> it's hard to get good free help these days, isn't it? Shrank from 16 states. No. Uh, from 25 states down to nine. That's a lot of liberty. Yeah, that's all right. Now, the ones that have a shall issue policy, of course, flip the other way. They went from eight to 36. States that allow concealed carry without a permit rose from one to five. So this is the time of year after the after the winter Legislators get back in session, new bills get appointed, we win, we lose, up, down, hits, runs, errors, you know, uh, good gun bills left on base. Yeah, yeah. But in that last 30 years, the rate of total homicide and gun homicides, when we were getting all that liberty, fell by half. We're winning. I like that. Good job. Okay. 
Okay, now we're headed for the weeds. And I normally wouldn't cover this, but it's in your backyard. Florida Senator Marco Rubio and Ohio Representative Jim Jordan introduced legislation to change the firearms laws in Washington, D.C. You and your wife live, work, drive through there. It would really affect you. Their bills would require a shall-issue policy for concealed carry permits, not only for residents, but for visitors who don't have a criminal record. Um, D.C. residents would be able to purchase firearms in neighboring states, so you don't have to wear Sykes out every time you need a gun or need to get it registered. Man, and- that's, that's still a, a hoax, man. I got one dude. Yeah. One dude in the whole city of the nation's capital. Anyway, and... You know the hodgepodge of companies, countries, laws, police organizations. This legislation allows private citizens, companies, and public agencies in the capital to determine for themselves whether they want to allow firearms on their property. And, and most it would do also, anyway. Do they? Yeah, they, they have they have that stuff, but nobody pays any attention to it because it's just so prohibitive everywhere. Yeah. Well, this bill would exempt, or I'm sorry, preempt D.C. from re-regulating firearms. And I'm sure the city council is going to whine and complain, but that's another dose of freedom. Right, right. It might get a presidential veto, but, you know, that has its political costs. You know, people that live in Maryland and Virginia and work in the district, it would affect them. We don't think of D.C., I mean... D.C. and New Jersey are kind of the the bad boys of gun rights, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we think that Arizona is some little gun paradise. True. Not so much. It was a dark day in Arizona. Three Republican senators sided with Democrats and voted against a bill that would have allowed concealed carry in government buildings. You go, in Arizona? In Arizona. I know, my mouth hit the floor because... I was just there with the Arizona Civil Citizens Defense League, and them guys are on the on the case, man. They're on the job, but some of the Republicans rolled. Now, here's the good news. A Republican senator, John Kavanaugh from Fountain Hills, this is what he said. He's, and this is quotes, right? No gun signs were useless at most government buildings that lack screening procedures to x-ray each bag and wand each visitor. The bad guys laugh at the sign as they walk by with their weapons, close quote. Well, but I like the way it was called out. A guy said, this is, what, this is theater. What are you doing here? Well, they want that. They want the, uh, the looking, they want the, the appearance of security. That's all. Yeah, because if they actually touched everybody, everybody would say, you know, treat them like it was TSA, right? Yeah. Ugh. Can't have them both. Yeah. Now, I'm, you said you don't cover the news, but I'm sure you heard about that German plane crash. Oh, man, that's just, that's just upsetting right there. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a tragedy. But I think there's something we can learn from it. I mean, the crazy co-pilot deliberately flew into a mountain and everybody on board was killed. Pilots have annual physicals and are evaluated by a flight surgeon who says they're mentally and physically fit to fly. Well, now people are asking the airline, if, if it were a mechanical failure, they'd say, what went wrong? We have to fix it. Well, it's a mental failure, and they're going, what can we learn so this could be avoided? You got to talk to the doctors. And psychiatrists know that they can't 
<clears throat> they can't see crazy from a distance. They really have a terrible record of detecting and reporting mental illness. And psychiatrists are the best diagnosticians that we have today. I mean, let's look at what this tells us. We had this pilot and we, we missed him. Right, right. But look back, we missed, look at all the mass murderers that were under psychiatric care. It's the rule rather than the exception that mass killers were seeing psychiatrists psychiatrists before their attacks. The the kid that murdered students just outside the uh, UC Santa Barbara, the latest murderer at Fort Hood in Texas, the kid at Sandy Hook was being treated and evaluated, Aurora, Colorado in the movie theater, Virginia Tech had a mental health history, Columbine and the Washington Navy Yard. All right. They in, were, in detective work, you call this a clue. You <laughs> Well, it's getting to be a long list, right? They were seeing doctors and taking psychotropic drugs for mental health issues. And even then, by the way, this is a handful out of the millions of people that are being treated that way. That's true. So what that means is doctors can't figure this out. Because if it works, they're not going to notice one in a million. But now look what... Ken, the legislation that passed last year in Maryland or California or New York, they said that ex-wives, our neighbors, or a relative or a judge is able to rule if we're crazy and not safe to own a firearm. See, that's not right. You can't legislate crazy. (laughs) Well, you can legislate it, but you can't find it. That's for sure. Right, yeah, that's true. (laughs) So the best psychiatrists in the world miss these violent murderers but your neighbor is qualified to disarm you. That reminds me of, of Cuba, where they have these, um, if your neighbor does something against the state, they can report you. And then a the little, the little troop of people just come and take you away. Like the Stasi in East Germany. Yeah, Cuba's still like that. Yeah. And wow. trying, trying to get it here so that your neighbor or your kid can turn you in and you lose your guns. Mom yelled at dad, therefore all the guns need to leave. And mom comes back feeling funny because they gave her a drug. Ooh, that's some scary thinking there. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Well, I'll call this story a win and a loss. In Canada, the Quebec Minister of Public Security. Now, doesn't that feel like something out of science fiction? The Minister of Public Security. I know, right? It's a big star chamber, too. He has like a long gown on. The minister said that the provincial government of Quebec will create their own firearms registry for long guns. This issue came up because the Canadian Supreme Court ruled that the federal government can destroy their registry of rifle owners and that the federal government in Canada isn't required to give the data to the province of Quebec. Therefore, the provincial minister got all provincial and said, the premier of Quebec has taken steps to put gun registry in place with or without the federal data. All right. Okay. You can have it your way. And now Canadian firearms advocates will have to Fight the Quebec government in court. Win some, lose some. Well, let's face it. Governments are governments. People are people. We think there's this huge divide. Oh, the free Wild West United States and the regulated Canadians? Nah, you have to look in the weeds. You have to geek out a little bit. Like my daughter would say, not so much. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, here's a not so much. And you've talked about one of these plaintiffs. 
we won a case in court. Now, it starts with a tragedy. Jessica Gowie was one of the victims in the Aurora movie theater murders. Jessica's parents sued online ammunition sellers, saying that the online companies did not stop the murderer from buying equipment and ammunition. U.S. District Court Richard Marsh said no. The companies are protected by the Federal Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. That means if I sell you a legal article and you misuse it, you can't sue the company. Makes sense. The judge also ruled that the defendants, meaning the online sporting good companies Lucky Gunner and Sportsman's Guide, you've talked up, I've heard the Lucky Gunner ads on Black Man with a Gun. Yeah, they're, they're like family. They're like friends of mine. Good yeah. People. Well, they're entitled to an award that would pay their attorney's fees and costs. So the Brady campaign helped fund the lawsuit. So what I wonder is, will it be the parents' money or Bloomberg's money that pays the legal bills for Lucky Gunner and Sportsman's Guide? That's a no-brainer. Uh, are, are they? Is this a bait and switch? Like, we'll fund you unless we lose and then leave the parents for the legal fees? Nah, they they got Bloomberg for sure on that one. They look for, they just look for poster children. That's how that yeah. thing works. They, they look for tragedy and blood, and then they just kind of we'll fund it. We just need your face. Well, in this case, they get to fund both sides of it, both the appeal and the award. Yeah. Now we're picking on Bloomberg and New Jersey, but here's a little dose of sanity from a place I didn't expect to see it. Deborah Cope is mayor of Bass River Township, New Jersey. She's a little more than that. She's also president of the New Jersey Conference of Mayors. So she's a mayor's mayor. And it turns out that Mayor Cope also owns and, shoot hand, owns and shoots handguns. The mayor asked for legislation reinstating firearms safety training in New Jersey elementary schools. Let that sink in. <laughs> yeah, now I feel like uh, one of those little minions. What? What? <laughs> so, yes, this is the planet Earth. This is real. This is, here's a quote from the mayor. She said, we talk about drugs, alcohol, sex, texting, bullying. We talk about that in schools, but firearm safety got pushed off to the side. And we're not talking about it with kids like we used to. Close quote. That's still true. So the mayor talked to the legislator, legislature, and she also wants to present her idea to reinstate gun safety programs to the New Jersey Conference of Mayors. That conference is scheduled late this month. Wow. Somebody don't tell Bloomberg so it doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, she may need a... Uh, Escort, man. I was going to say, yeah, a motorcade to make sure she makes yeah. it to the conference. <laughs> that, that the bridge doesn't get closed off, that they can't make it or something. <laughs> All right, Mayor Cope. Yeah, in New Jersey. That's cool. Well, we're changing the culture. Ken, is it legal to be a bigot? We've settled the issue in part so that a store owner can't say, I won't serve you because you're black or Italian or Jewish. I mean, it's the law now. You have to serve all races, religions, creeds, colors, and that's progress. We're winning. Today, you and I can sit side by side at a lunch counter, even right. in Oxford, Mississippi. Right. That's where the National Guard had to come in so black students could attend school. 
That's progress. Things have changed. Not in California. Not in some places in Tennessee. Not in Washington, D.C., if I'm a gun owner. Right. There's no evidence that you or I have ever harmed anyone or that we will ever harm anyone. But a store owner can refuse to serve you or me because we discreetly carry a firearm. Mm. Worse than that, Washington, D.C. and Chicago demand it by law. So some bigotry is, is approved still. Some bigotry is more equal than others. I like the way you put that. That's, uh, folks have to think of it that way, too. Well, what brought it to mind is we're hearing these concealed carry-on-campus bills come up. Mm. And I've got to call these people bigots because they're saying that concealed carry-on-campus promotes rape because it makes women able to defend themselves. Okay, that's just nuts right there. Um, that's like, I don't know, stupid. It's like racism back in the 60s. It's, it's, it's upside-down land, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, bizarro world from Superman. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. I asked Amber Kunow to give us her opinion on campus carry. I'll have that for you next week. Amber's an ins- a firearms instructor in Arizona, and she's been a victim of domestic violence. So I bet she's got an opinion. I don't think the world is crazy. You're changing the culture. I'm changing the culture, are changing the culture. This week, I was part of a training class that took 20 doctors and nurses to the range for their first shots. Oh, that was cool. In San Diego, California, twenty where they can't carry, but still they're interested. Now, here's another measure of a change. I read about a shooting range that's about an hour outside of Chicago. It's in Dundee, and their classes are filled when they're teaching kids to shoot rifles in a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, as long as you're not in the city, there's freedom. Well, that's, it's only an hour. Freedom is an hour away. I've got a couple DGUs for you. Defensive gun use. Ah. A Laverne, Tennessee store owner had closed his store, and he was just standing there talking to one of his last customers when a stranger walked up and asked if the store was open. Well, the store owner said no, he'd closed for the night. And then this stranger takes a box cutter from his pocket and slashes the store owner across the neck. That's a tragedy. The store owner had his concealed carry permit. He was armed that evening. He drew his handgun and shot the assailant, defending himself and the person next to him. The assailant ran from the scene. The store owner stayed put. They put pressure on the wound. He was treated by EMS, but didn't have to be hospitalized. Oh, cool. The police later found the assailant, and he'd unfortunately died from his gunshot wound. This one strikes a little closer to... to some people we know and love. A 21-year-old burglar and his partner broke into a home in Detroit at 3.30 in the morning. The homeowner, who was sleeping downstairs, fought with the two intruders. The second homeowner, a 29-year-old woman, was sleeping upstairs, and she heard you know, furniture getting thrown around, people yelling and screaming. She grabs her firearm and comes downstairs. She shot one of the intruders, who then ran away, well, both intruders fled. The wounded intruder called his cousin to take him to St. John's Hospital. In this case, fortunately, he's alive and in critical condition. All the wow. neighbors are going, good. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just thinking how, how brain dumb I am at 3.30 in the morning. That's a, that's a lot to sort out. 
I wonder if she was one of Rick's uh, clients. I hope so. Rick Rick is like a major force in Detroit, man, training people about self-defense uses and use of force and how to carry correctly and just he he's the man in Detroit. Rick Hector. Legally armed in Detroit, Rick Hector. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, he would be the man to go to to carry responsibly. Ken, that's it for the news. All right, man. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you again next week. All right. This week, most of my friends, a lot of you guys, are going to the NRA annual meeting and exhibits. It's in Nashville, Tennessee this year, April 10th through the 12th. So about a week from this recording, you guys will be living large and in charge and seeing all the cool stuff. Now, last year, when that thing was in Indianapolis, there was a crowd of over 75,000 people there. That's a lot of friends. And it's the best opportunity to sell stuff, to secure leads, to, to grow your business, to connect with other people who think like you do. Nashville is popping. I would have preferred if it was in Memphis. That's just me. How far is Memphis from Nashville? Like 210 miles. It'd take you like a three and a half hour ride by car. There's no bus. There's no train. There's nothing connecting. You have to go on your own if you did it. Another one of those reasons why it's kind of slowed up. Because there's so much stuff I would love to have seen in Memphis. Now, I know they call Nashville Music City. It's a country music hub. I like country music, too. Not as much as I like Memphis Soul, though. Memphis was founded in 1819, if you didn't know it, and the city was named after an ancient capital of Egypt on the Nile River. And the musical legacy of the what they call the Bluff City is diverse and big on American culture. Bill Street and Graceland are in Memphis. See, at one time, Memphis was like the the gateway to the Mississippi Delta. Folks came there from eastern Arkansas, western Tennessee, and northern Mississippi. It was the meeting place for urban and rural styles of music. There's some folks who came out of there that shaped American music. W.C. Handy, B.B. King, McKinley Morganfield, a.k.a. Muddy Waters, Sam Chapman, and Big Joe Williams, to name a few folks. And of course, they moved to Chicago and New York, but home was always Memphis. So while you're in Nashville, I want you to enjoy yourself. Have a really good time. I won't be able to make it with you. But just in case you get a pen or something that's kind of cool from being in that area, send it to me. I live vicariously through you. I want to make it next year for sure. You know, I love music. All right, that means it's time to roll on out of here, as it were. Remember, positive minds live positive lives. This is your friend and your brother, Reverend Ken Blanchard, the black man with a gun. All right, this concludes another week of us being together. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me at blackmanwithagun.com and all my sites on blanchardmediagroup.com. Until next week, shalom, baby. All right, I was talking about Memphis and Nashville, and I thought about, you know what? Al Green is in Memphis. So get your Al Green on, and I'll talk to you next week.